Welcome to the First Baptist Church Keller Sermon Podcast. Each week we make available sermons from Pastor Keith and our staff on our website, fbckeller.org. And on iTunes, search for First Baptist Church Keller TX in the iTunes Store or in the podcast app on your mobile device. And now here's our Associate Pastor for Missions and Evangelism, Lawrence Duhon. I want to express my gratitude to Brother Keith for the opportunity to share with you this morning from God's Word. And when he asked me to do that, it's it's obviously a big responsibility. And I began to pray and ask the Lord what what He has for you today. And uh, as I hear from people throughout the week, week to week, it grieves my heart to see the struggles that so many are having with areas of sin and broken homes and all kinds of struggles. So uh, God led me to the, the idea of how we can live in freedom from sin, specifically when it comes to preparing our mind for that. We're going to look at several passages today. It's going to be more of a, uh, an overview of how God has been working in my life and teaching me over the years of these principles and how to live in freedom from sin. So why do you and I struggle so much with sin? How can we find the freedom from the sins in our lives that we commit most often? These are fundamental questions for every one of us as we walk with God and seek to grow closer to Him each day. So in the few minutes we have together, let's look at what the Bible teaches about how to live a holy and God-pleasing life. Every single sin that you might imagine starts right here in your mind. The book of James tells us in 1.14 that, you know, when we're tempted, we're drawn away and enticed by our own lusts, our own desires. And that is where it all starts. Satan has many tricks to arouse those desires in us. And the chief method that he uses today and even throughout history is filling our minds with the things of the world. Just kind of over-saturating us with the world's philosophies and ideas. Just like he did to Eve in the Garden of Eden, Satan still casts doubt on God's Word and puts up an attractive alternative before us that seems right from the world's perspective. His strategy is to fill our minds with the world's standards and philosophies and to crowd out God's Word from our lives. Then, when temptation comes, it seems like we are doing nothing wrong. The desires of our sinful nature do seem right until we hold them up to the holy standard of God's Word. So, don't get scared, but let's examine ten steps that you will help us to gain and maintain freedom from daily sins in our lives. And I'd like you to open your Bible and we'll start in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. That passage says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. 
So as we think about what it means to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, we've got to go back and say, what does it mean to be conformed to the world? So we have to recognize first the areas of conformity to the world in our lives. So what influences the way that you think? The answer to that is what you put into your mind. Satan's most common point of attack on Christians is filling our minds with ungodly images, words, and ideas. We get those bombarded from all sides every day of every week that Satan is trying to influence us in those ways. Now, I'm not quite 50 years old yet, but I can remember not long ago when our society in general had a much higher standard of morality than we have now. In fact, many things that are pervasive on TV and on the internet now were shameful and would never even be mentioned just a generation ago. Now if you say something as simple as marriage is between one man and one woman for life, that's the biblical standard, but you're suddenly branded as a bigot and sprouting hate speech and ridiculed by society just for saying what God's word says anymore. The world not only ignores God's standards, it seeks to punish those who hold to them. So take a step back from your daily routine and ask yourself these questions. What kind of things am I putting into my mind? What kind of music do I listen to? What do I watch on TV? What am I reading and viewing online? Chances are that most of you are seeing and hearing, um, what, what you're seeing and hearing is being used by Satan in some way to conform your mind to the sinful world around you and to lower your moral standards. That's exactly what Satan wants to do. And we must recognize that. And when we are conformed to this world, we are on a path that seems right, but as the book of Proverbs tells us, it leads to death. So the next thing is, in order to be free from sin, we have to call sin what God calls it and reject it. It will take a conscious act of our will to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. It doesn't happen by osmosis. We have to, to fight this battle so that we can follow God's will for our lives instead of being trapped in the world's evil system. So the next step after recognizing how we're being conformed to this world is to reject the world's philosophies and sinful practices. Our minds can become so saturated with the world's ways of thinking that we don't even notice how those things are affecting us. It just seems natural. It just seems the way it should be. But, let's just say this. One example is, think about how extramarital sex, homosexuality, or pornography are now portrayed openly in our society as something normal compared to just a few years ago. And even a Christian young person today struggles to figure out what's right and wrong because the world's influences are so pervasive. It's hard to form that biblical worldview when all the messages around you are saying the opposite thing. So we must constantly be on the lookout for those things. The Bible says that with the consciences, the consciences of those entrenched in the world are seared as with a hot branding iron, completely desensitizing them to right and wrong. And if we're not careful, our consciences can be seared too if we let those influences of the world constantly 
guide us. So as believers, we must reject what the world says is permissible when it goes against the clear teachings of Scripture. When we do this, we may be labeled by the world with any number of pejorative names, but we must stand strong on the truth of God's Word. That's our only anchor. We must also reject the philosophies of the world when it comes to our attitude toward material possessions and money. It's not just all about morality, but money and possessions they're not inherently sinful, but an unbalanced desire for more stuff gives us that perspective of the world that this is the most important thing. What we have in this life is all there is. And that's what uh, Satan wants to trick us into believing. And that can drive us away from a right relationship with the Lord. Our society says get all you can and that can take us down paths that we shouldn't follow. So we have to hold up the plumb line of the Bible to know God's standards, and to recognize and reject opposing worldly thoughts and actions. Without this absolute and eternal standard, all ethics and ideas are subjective and evolving. The Bible uses this concept of the plumb line, speaking of God's standard, in the book of Amos. And um, it's very important to see that that, that thing is always going to be the same. There's no variation. And uh, that's what we need when we hold to truth. We have to hold it according to God's absolute standard, His Word. So the third thing, once we recognize and reject the, the world's philosophies in our lives, is we must repent and confess areas of sin in our lives. This, we realize exactly how our minds have become conformed to the world, and then... We must confess and turn away from those actions we know and we've seen from the plumb line of God's word or not, the right ways. This means agreeing with God that we were on the wrong path. That's what confession really means, to say the same thing or to agree with God. And not only that, but choosing to follow His way instead. Another corollary to confession is repentance. And the Greek word for repent literally means a change of mind with the inference that it results in a change of action. We're talking about how we can be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Well, repentance starts with rejecting the false and rejecting the bad things in our lives and turning instead toward God, changing our direction, moving toward Him. Like everything else, this starts in our minds. And it takes discipline to say no to ungodly desires and to... Instead, pursue righteousness. This happens only as God's grace is at work in our lives. We're going to have a little Bible drill here for a time or two. So let's look at a couple of uh, verses that relate to this in the New Testament. One that we're very familiar with is 1 John 1, verses 8 and 9. It says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So that starts with the confession. And then we see in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, how God's grace is there for us to teach us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. And instead, training us to renounce the ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. 
That is so critical that it's not our willpower that does it, it's God's grace in our lives that allows us to turn away from our sin and to live the life that pleases Him. But there's something else important in our next step, which is to reaffirm our relationship with Christ. You see, some of the biggest problems that people have in resisting sin is that they're, they don't have a life-transforming relationship with Christ. They're not born again. Because without that, none of this makes sense. Why would you go against the world if you're, um, you're going to struggle because of that when it's so much easier to just do it the world's way? Well, if you're not a follower of Christ, you wouldn't do that, as they don't. But uh, when you see and you evaluate yourself, am I truly a follower of Christ? Then you'll be able to say, Yes, I can say no to those things. To the natural man, these things seem like foolishness. And one reason, you know, we have such a big problem is people are not born again. Going to church or doing religious activities has no power to change your heart or give you victory over sin. It has absolutely no power. We each need to examine our hearts to see if we have a true relationship with Christ. 2 Corinthians 13.5 says the same. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless, indeed, you fail the test? So you can ask yourself, have you turned away from your sins and put your faith in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation? Does your relationship with him keep you on a continual path? of obedience to his commands. That's a, a bigger and more telling question, perhaps, because the Bible says if you're living a lifestyle of continual sin, you really have no assurance of salvation. That's not just me saying that. Look in 1 John chapter 3, verse 6. You can see what it says there. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Back in the previous chapter, chapter 2 of 1 John, verses 3 and 4, says, And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, does not keep his, and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. It couldn't be any more clear than that. That's the standard that if you're constantly living in sin, there's no way to have assurance of salvation. So, once you've confirmed that you're truly a disciple of Christ, then we move on to the next step, which is uh, reckon yourself dead to sin and alive to Christ. Reckon yourself dead to sin and alive to Christ. We get that word from the old King James in uh, Romans chapter 6, verse 11. We're going to look at uh, several verses in Romans 6 here, so turn over there if you would. It's a very, very critical part of this whole process is reckoning yourself dead to sin and alive to Christ. A very important step in getting lasting freedom over sin in our lives is to realize that because of Jesus' death and resurrection, we have died to sin and are no longer its slaves. This is a critical thing to realize that you don't have to sin anymore. That doesn't say you won't sin anymore. You do not have to. You're not a slave to sin any longer. So before we were born again, we were dead in our sins and were slaves to sin. But now 
We have been set free from sin. It's an interesting story in our nation's history that on June 19, 1865, there were some slaves in, in Galveston, Texas, who, who got some interesting news. A, an army person came and told them nearly 18 months after the Emancipation Proclamation that they were free. Yet, during those 18 months, even though technically on paper they were free, they were still living as slaves because no one had told them. They, they had not realized that and there was no way to enforce that. So in the same way, we will not live in freedom from sin until we reckon ourselves dead to sin. Realize that this is our position in Christ. We are alive to Christ, dead to sin. And then we can begin to live in the freedom that Jesus died and rose again to provide for us. That is the most important truth that you can have when you're thinking about freedom from sin. We're dead to sin now. When was the last time you went to a funeral and saw the corpse in the coffin commit a sin. Never. It can't happen. He's dead. She's dead. That's the way we are to sin. We must be just as dead to sin as that corpse is to a response to someone walking by. It's impossible. I'm not saying it's impossible for us to sin, but for in our spirit, we are not slaves to sin any longer. So, if we are dead to sin, why do we still succumb to temptation so often? That's the big question. It starts in our minds. When we consciously live in the reality that Christ has defeated sin's control over our lives, we can live in freedom from sin and become slaves to righteousness. Look there in Romans 6. Let's read a couple of those verses. I'm going to skip around a little bit, but starting in verse 1. What should we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? By no means. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Down in verse 6. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. And then go down to verse 11 that I mentioned a moment ago. Even so, consider or reckon yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Verse 12, therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. And then down in verse 14, for sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. These are all revolutionary spiritual truths to our daily life. Go down to verse 16 again. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness? But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient to, from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I'm, I'm okay, that's all for that. You've become slaves of of righteousness. So for us, although our sinful nature has lost the war for our soul, it still wages guerrilla warfare in our lives in areas that are not controlled by obedience to Christ. Wherever we give the devil a foothold by what we allow into our minds. Think about the song we sang a moment ago, Jesus, keep me near the cross. 
When we're thinking about the cross, when we're conscious of that, what Jesus has done for us, that he's given us that freedom from sin, then we have uh, more accessibility to the victory that he offers over that sin. But whenever we forget that, not keeping it in the forefront of our minds, Satan allows certain things in our lives to become a foothold and, and begin to take over. Just like we talked about in the book of Joshua several weeks in a row, you know, the, the people had the victory over the, the seven nations that were promised by God to be destroyed, but those nations still kept footholds. They still kept uh, being a stumbling block to them until they were finally defeated and really they never were completely shut out. But that was because, not because God didn't give them the power to defeat them, but the people did not claim the victory that God offered them. So for us, we've got to remember that where there is a spiritual vacuum, it's not going to be filled by something good. It never will. Because Jesus told us in Matthew 12, when an evil spirit goes out of a man, it kind of goes around looking around to see where it can find some rest and finds none. Then it said, I will return from my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept, and put in order. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they enter and dwell there, and the last state of that person is worse than the first. So also will it be with this evil generation. You see, when we kind of just leave an empty mind, it doesn't get filled automatically by God's Satan starts to trickle in there and take foothold in our lives. And that's why, even though we've been promised and given a position of victory over sin, we don't always live in its reality because we don't reckon ourselves dead to sin and alive to Christ. So, in order to avoid a spiritual vac vacuum, the next step is to replace sinful thoughts and actions with godly ones. This is a critical thing, this positive replacement, because we don't want to just say, okay, let's get rid of the sin, and then let Satan, the temptation, come back and take over. We've got to replace it with something positive that's pleasing to God. So after we turn away from sin in our lives, we must replace those ungodly things with godly attitudes and actions. Paul uses the image of taking off dirty clothes and putting on clean clothes in Colossians chapter 3, when you see... He says in verse 5, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. He says in verse 7, To put all, away all anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. And then he says later, Put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. And again, put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, Love, these are what we replace the bad with in our lives, the positive things that God wants for us. Again, in 2 Timothy 2.22, Paul tells Timothy, so flee youthful passions. He didn't just say flee them, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. So in our, instead of just fleeing from sin, we must pursue Righteousness, that's what gives us the victory. That's what provides that positive replacement. We can't stand still spiritually if we're to live in freedom from sin's control in our lives. 
Standing still gives the devil an opportunity to catch us, but when we're actively pursuing God day to day, he can't catch us because God is more powerful and we're, we're following him. So when we offer our bodies as living sacrifices as Christ, we surrender ourselves completely to him so that he can live out his holy character in us. That helps us do what the Bible says, to take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Then this next step is, is also supremely practical in my life. Something that's been very, very helpful to me is this, to revere God by living a constant, in a constant awareness of his presence. This has been known for many centuries as the fear of the Lord. Heard the phrase, put the fear of God in him. What does that mean? Well, stop him from probably doing the wrong thing. Well, that's exactly what it means. It, the Bible kind of just doesn't really define the fear of the Lord succinctly, but one thing that I've learned from another ministry is that the fear of the Lord is the continual awareness that I'm in the presence of a just and holy God and that everything I say, do, and think is being seen by Him and one day will be judged by Him. And when we, we do that, you know, just to put it in a, a practical application, think about what happened last time a police car pulled behind you when you were driving on the road. What was your immediate reaction? If you're like me, you probably looked at your speedometer, made sure you had your seatbelt on, that you used your turn signals, and all these things that you always should be doing, you suddenly became acutely aware of, that this is something I need to watch out for. Well, the law didn't change when that police officer pulled behind you. You just became more aware of it. And you were uh, sensitive to every possible infraction when you knew you were being watched. You know, and that's the kind of the way it can be with the fear of the Lord for us. As believers, we need to live in the same awareness of the Lord's presence with us. So think about it practically. Would you watch the same things on TV or on the computer if Jesus was physically sitting right next to you? You think those would please him? Well, that's, that's what it means to live in the fear of the Lord. He is with us all the time, every moment of every day. So remembering the Lord's presence with us should be our biggest deterrent for sin, from sin. Proverbs 16, 6 says, By the fear of the Lord, a man avoids evil. So when we don't think about Jesus being with us and we follow our own sinful desires, that's when we get into trouble. We think, oh, no one can see. This won't hurt anyone. Yet it grieves the Holy Spirit in us. When Isaiah, the prophet, experienced God's presence at the time of his call, he was immediately horrified at his own sinfulness. He said, I'm a man of unclean lips. I am undone. That was just by seeing and realizing that God's presence was with him. And yet God cleansed him and began to use him. So if we start each day in prayer and in God's word, then we kind of continue, can continue throughout the day in that mindset to live in God's presence. So while we're pursuing Him, that leaves no opportunity for us to pursue sin. It's a critical thing to live in the fear of the Lord. Also, we can refocus our thoughts on Christ and on what is pure. So another step in to help you live in freedom from sin is to keep your focus on Christ. Colossians 3 one tells us, if then you have been raised with Christ, 
Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on things that are on earth. This is another thing critical. It's very similar to what we just talked about of revering the Lord or fear of the Lord. But instead, it's focusing more on the positive, on what we are going to do. Refocusing our minds on God. When we are busy fulfilling God's purposes for our life, whether at home or work or during our free time or wherever you are, then there's not room for the wrong things. Think about it. You've only got room for so many things in your life. And if you have a constant pursuing of God, a constant working of the things of God, thinking about the things of God in your life, when are you going to have time for evil thoughts? When are you going to have time for sin? That's exactly the way God wants us to live our lives. It's when we are idle and we let our minds focus on other things rather than on Christ that Satan gets the victory over us. Remember, we fall into temptation most often when our minds are not focused on Christ. Therefore, our minds should be saturated with pure and holy things. Look with me or jot down Philippians 4.8, which says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And then, as we come to a close here in the next couple of minutes, we must renew our mind with God's Word. This is the critical piece to victory in any kind of sin, is filling our minds. Not only thinking about Christ, but filling our minds with His Word. The the psalmist in Psalm 119 had a, a very good question for all of us. How can a young man keep his way pure? The answer, by living according to your word or guarding it according to your word. And then verse 11 says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. See, that's where the Bible can come in when it's in our heart. It does the work of cleansing. When we have the the Bible and we're thinking about it, it's like going through a car wash, letting all that dirt flow off because God said in... uh, Ephesians 5.26, talking about Jesus and the church, it said, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. That is how God works in our life. He uses his word, his Holy Spirit, to cleanse us and get us through those things. Bradley, in a few minutes ago, read uh, from Hebrews chapter 4, when you're talking about the first grade Bible presentation, he said in verse 12, for the word of God is living and active. Sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, for all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Again, a picture of the fear of the Lord. But the Word of God is like a searchlight. It shines into areas of our life that we don't really want anyone to see. We certainly don't want God to see like... Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden hiding when after they had sinned, not wanting to be in the presence of God. But uh, God's Word gets down deep in there. It opens up the trash can lid of our heart and shines into places and then allows us to confess those and to, to be cleansed from all of our wayward thoughts and actions. Finally, we must reinforce 
our commitment to holiness through accountability. James 5.16 says to confess our sins one to another. And Hebrews 3.13 says that uh, encourage one another daily as long as it is called today. Satan wants to isolate us from each other. He wants to isolate us because that's when he gets the victory. But when we come together and hold each other accountable and lift each other up, then we're able to withstand those attacks. Think about it if a coal falls out of a fire fireplace it suddenly burns out pretty quickly but when it stays together with all those other embers then it it burns longer and hotter so for us God has placed us in a community of believers so that we can support and encourage one another if you're struggling with sin find a mature brother or sister in Christ or one of our pastors and share your struggle then commit to true repentance and let him or her hold you accountable to move in the direction of personal holiness. Let's bow our heads together and think as we close. God wants us to live in freedom from sin. This morning we've looked at several clear steps. He's given us to transform us by the renewing of our minds so that we can live a life of holiness that pleases Him. It starts by recognizing how the world has corrupted our way of thinking and then turning away from those evil thought patterns. Living each day in a continual awareness of God's presence. If you've been in bondage to a particular sin, you can be set free today. Start by confessing it specifically to God and then turn away from it and begin focusing on God's word and living in the reality of God's presence. Commit in your heart to start afresh today in your quest for holiness. Maybe you realized earlier that you're not truly born again that you don't have victory over your sin because you have never surrendered your life to Christ. The first step is to repent and put your faith in Christ alone for your salvation. You can do that today. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for each person in this room and how you've given us the opportunity for freedom from sin. I pray that you would help us to be renewed in our minds, Lord, and to get that victory that you so want us to have today, Lord. In Jesus' name. Thank you again for listening to our broadcast. To learn more about First Baptist Church in Keller, Texas, or to hear more sermons by Pastor Keith and our staff, visit us online at fbckeller.org.